Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Zaren. Do I know you? Yes. Oh, Elizabeth. It's me, Zaren I'm sorry. Burnett. Hi, hi. How you doing? Hi. I'm good. Listen. Yo. Come here. You know what's ridiculous? Oh, brother, do I. Uh-oh. Yeah. I, I, um, okay. I got a little something for you. Uh-huh. Do you know who Master P is? Yeah. Uh, na-na-na-na. Exactly. Yeah, okay. You know who Snoop Dogg is? Yes. You know what cereal is? Like, like the food? Yes, yeah. as in the cereal. Wait. You, I got, dude, I got one for you. You, you slipping, girl. Wait, 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 You are wait, wait, slipping, wait. yeah. You know what's ridiculous? I'm about to do uh-huh. a mashup on you. I'm going to, I'm calling them a swirl, though, because when I do it, it's a swirl. What? So, yeah. Well, it turns out uh-huh. post-consumer brand cereal maker has teamed up with Brodus Foods, as in Calvin, Calvin Brodus, Snoop Dogg, oh. who is aligned with Master P in his Brodus Foods, and yes. they have introduced Snoop Cereal. Yeah. Yes. It's full of flavorful notes fronted by memorable characters. So what memorable characters? I'm glad you asked, Elizabeth. We have Snoop Cereal Cinnamon Toasties. The That's the cereal. I'll tell you the character to co- mm-hmm. go along with it. Then there's Snoop Cereal Frosted Drizzlers. <laughs> there's Snoop <laughs> Cereal like something I'd say. Fruity Hoops. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, anyway, so we have a whole list of characters that they are part of the canine team they're all dogs apparently okay. because snoop sure of, like his dog because i mean cereal exactly so we have captain ace then mm-hmm. there's max hercules roxy and mr polar bear i, I don't okay. know anyway uh so the good thing about this elizabeth see this is what i'm gonna flip it on you this is for charity so okay. when you buy one of the snoop cereals yeah you're giving money to door of hope 
which helps with deal people deal with food insecurity and homelessness. Wait, so I'm going to go out and buy this immediately. Exactly. I love that you see you how I make you want to help these people instead of just sicking you? I brought you to no, the dark side. No, I'm bringing light to the dark side. That's what I'm doing <laughs> over here, sister. Now, Percy, a.k.a. Master P. Miller, he said, we want to make sure kids and kids at heart, that's you, can have a champion's breakfast, that's me. Our motto is the more we make, the more we give. I grew up on WIC, and I am honored and humbled to now own a company with Snoop that can serve underprivileged families. And I am two for them. That's awesome. Because I support WIC wholeheartedly. WIC is good. Please don't cut the budget, federal <laughs> oh, of government. Course, yes. Give people food. Yes. There you go. Now, See how that was like fun? I and want the drizzlers. You want it? Yes. It sounds like if I can't remember the name of a product, that's what You're I would like, call it. Like, yes. you know, the, you cheap, know the, the, the sugar the, drizzlers. The sugar drizzlers. That's it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, you know, I used to have a Master P doll. Really? Yeah. That, uh, Did he go, na na na? Yeah, he was, you push it and you go, na 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 na. But then it was like in the garage for a really long time. Yeah, didn't melt. And it got all, no, it got like kind of like too, um, uh, mildewy. Oh, like there's too like much musty moisture. And mildewy. Okay. So when you and the battery started to die, uh-huh. and so when you push the thing, because he was still in the box. Oh, okay. You push of course. it, and he would go. <laughs> and it was amazing. And I don't know. It's like all these cool things that I have. I don't know what happens to him. Impermanent, Saren. Uh, embrace it, Elizabeth. That's Life ridiculous. You need to buy me some cereal. No, I'm on it. You know what else is ridiculous? No, but I'm hoping you would tell me. Harassing a criminal's cat. What? I don't know. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. You damn right. Yes. Man, robberies. Man, what's up with them? Heists. I've been doing a good number of banks lately. Yeah, you're sticking it to the man, Elizabeth. I really am. I'm going to I'm gonna try and dip into one other type that I've done before. All right, what is it? The mail. The mail? Yeah. Oh, like U.S. mail. Yeah, like, yeah. So, or British mail I've done before. The post. Yeah, the post. So we've talked about how it's super stupid to mess with the mail. Yes. Bad felony. They have their own police force. Yes. And it's a federal crime. They shoot you. Totally no, not worth it. They will pow pow shoot you. <laughs> but they will definitely put you in prison. Yeah, you're you're in for it. So but like some people, some criminals, they think it could actually be worth it oh. to dance with the devil of the USPS. Um, if they could get away with it. Poor misguided souls. But that's true of pretty much every crime, right? It's worth it if I can get away with it. Yeah, that's usually what people think. Yeah, unless you're like a thrill killer. Anyway, so <laughs> I like heists. Yes, you do. I like costumes. Yes, you do. I love costumes on criminals. Yes, this is all true. I am a big fan of wigs. Like wigs on criminals. Oh, Oof. Boy. I love that. I can I, see you getting... Like, I just bought a couple wigs myself. Did you? What did yeah. you get? Like those like cheap... Like a Dolly Parton wig? No, like the cheap Halloween wigs. Oh, just like bag of wigs. I used to have a big collection of them, but I yeah. think they got lost in a move. They probably ran off with Master P. <laughs> um, so I'm rebuilding my stock uh-huh. of weird, cheap wigs okay. because it's always good to have them on hand. That's play. Yeah, you got to Like, have you them. know, for answering the door uh-huh. or taking a profile picture for something mm-hmm. or an author's photo. Three's Company Look Like Contest. Sitting on the sofa pretending you don't watch TV. There you go. It's another One of your here. hobbies. Yeah. So anyway, whatever. Let's uh, Let's dive into today's crime. Okay. On August 14th, 1962, mm-hmm. there was a mail truck. Ah, yes. 
Where was this mail truck? I don't know. Massachusetts. Oh, I know where that is. You do. So the truck started out in Cape Cod. Okay. And it was headed to the Boston Federal Reserve Bank. Oh, good place to go. So that makes sense. So in that truck was $1.5 million in silver certificates and Canadian and U.S. currency. Hmm. It's a lot. Silver certificates. Folks, today that's more than $15 million worth. Ah, I love that. Yeah. Do you know what silver certificates are? No, that's why I was like over here going silver certificates. I wanted you to kind of brew in it. Yeah. So it's representative money. It was representative money. That's it's like a promissory note? Commodity-backed money. So a silver certificate looked like American paper currency. It was okay. originally a bit bigger than yeah, currency, imagine. and then they reduced it down to kind of match. Um, they were redeemable at their face value in silver. Huh. And the whole thing was introduced in 1878 to kind of like calm down the people who were cheesed off that the U.S. was basically on a gold standard. Okay. Uh, they were big silver fans. So. And there's a lot of counterfeit money going around at the yeah, time. Which yeah. Yeah. So this you could you could trade it in. So the silver certificates were phased out in 1968. Hmm. Um, for the last year of their use, you could actually like trade them in for raw silver bullion. Oh yeah. Little totally. grains of silver. Hmm. Now you can only redeem them in Federal Reserve notes, so they're kind of obsolete. If I you mean, still have one, you're, there's... yeah, they're still legal tender and they can be used as currency, but hmm. they're collector's items. Really, Primarily. they look a little bit different. Okay. Than, um, but in 1962, you could still trade them in for actual silver coins. Hmm. And at that time, they came in denominations of $1, 5 and $10. Interesting. Yeah, little ones. This basically, this is money between banks, in a sense? No, I mean, people, people could do it. People actually if, you know, I think they're like sort of half off the grid type people. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's... You have to ask for it, special. Right. Okay. So that's silver certificates. So anyway, this truck I told you about. Uh-huh. The two employees in the truck, driver Patrick Shana and guard William Barrett, uh, they didn't know what they were hauling in the truck. No, so they're just you know cruising on down the road. One of them, the guards in the passenger seat, and he has his hand out with his arm riding the wind. It was flying really beautiful. in the wind. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, they just knew they had to get the rig to Boston. Okay, and you've been to Boston, right? A bunch. Yeah, it's a beautiful city. Yeah, full of history. Sure. Also, possibly one of the whitest major uh, metropolitan areas I've ever experienced. So you've been to Fenway Park. I, oh, my God. Yeah, that was weird. Like, as someone who has, like, grown up and always goes to the Oakland Coliseum, yeah. and where it's just like a Benetton ad. Totally. Yeah. The, Fenway's a little bit different. A little bit of shock to you, huh? Like, everyone has red hair. Yeah. You know, God bless. Go for it. Um, one of my cousins lives in Boston. Oh, nice. Yeah, she's a genius. Oh, it's yeah. a good place for them. All three of my cousins are actually geniuses. Oh. It's pretty rad for me. Uh, that's all I've got on Boston for you. But but just to establish, fun. we know where it is and yes. what it is. Okay. So this truck was going from Cape Cod to Boston mm-hmm. on Route 3. Okay. Route 3, someone would say. Some I would. Route 3. It's pretty much a straight shot from the peninsula up to Boston. Okay. The road runs through a lot of really heavily wooded areas in this stretch. I think all the roads there do. Pretty much. Um, especially, like, as you approach Plymouth, Massachusetts. Okay. It's also known as America's hometown. Oh, is it? Well, that's, you know, there's Mayflower stuff there. Sure, sure. First Thanksgiving and all that. No, that I, I've, I've heard the, lo- the stories. You know, they made a lot of rope there back in the day. <laughs> they did, did they, really? Oh, yeah. It was like the rope capital of the world, but whatever. Not anymore. So, August 14th, okay. 1962. <laughs> yes. There's the mail truck just barreling down along Route 3. Just Looking for some of, rope to buy. Just like, smells like rope. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of Plymouth. They're like, you know, super stoked on rope. <laughs> Shayna, the driver, just mm-hmm. doing his regular run. Mm-hmm. So, it's in the evening around 8 p.m. Not really fully dark, but not broad daylight. Sure. 
Um, so the truck passed some highway workers on the side of the road at the Clark Road exit. Do you know where that is? No idea. Is it near Fishkill Road? I'll, no. It's got to be near a kill road. All something I know kill road. is I saw it on Street View and I really didn't care if I went there ever. <laughs> no offense. But it wasn't like one of those ones where I'm like, oh my God, I have to go. No. <laughs> it was kind of bleak, a little bit rural and no, bleak? No, it, it was just, you know. Just trees. Heavily wooded. Yes, oh, okay. heavily wooded. So um, Clark Road exit. And the, the workers, they're just like leaning on some construction sawhorse barricades. Okay. Probably resting after a long day's work. Sure. As you do. Balancing a shovel so, underneath their shoulder. Oh, totally. They'd all spent the whole day watching one dude dig. <laughs> anyway, Shana, Shana and Barrett, um, they saw another car come speeding by them at breakneck speed, like 80 miles an hour or something. Mm-hmm. Which was, you know, unusually fast for that stretch of road in those days. It's not like modern day 580 cutting yeah. through Oakland where speed limit is infinity. Or like when I drive on country roads or now. Or when you drive anywhere yeah. on, on by schools in yeah. the streets. <laughs> so <laughs> the truck continued on. Yes. What they didn't see was that the road crew scurried out onto the highway after they'd passed and placed the barricades across State Route 3, huh. rerouting traffic onto Clark Road. So it's more than three miles from the Clark Road exit to the next place you can get to on Route 3. Oh, wow. And those detour roads aren't direct shots or frontage roads. Oh, yeah, they're wild. Yeah. Like you're going up and over hills. Oh, through yeah. Dale, yeah. And so from there on out, the highway is divided after Clark Road. It's divided, and mm-hmm. the directions are separated by heavy woods. So yeah. one, one direction can't see the other. Sometimes it's like, like a wrinkle of mountain. You're like on two different valleys yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can imagine that this isn't going to go well for the mail truck. No. So I'm thinking this is planned. There they are, cooking down the road, totally oblivious, have no idea what's in their truck. Um, then they come upon a police officer standing in the roadway. Yeah, and just there's one, no traffic behind them. No traffic behind them, just one cop yeah, just, standing in the roadway. A cop car? No, just a cop. <laughs> and But there are two cars parked on the verge, like over on the side. The cop signals for the mail truck to pull over. They're like, all right, officer, sure thing. So they pull over. And the two cars on the side of the road pull out and block in the truck. Hmm. They now know what's up. Now they know. This is what William Barrett, the guard, said. As soon as we stopped, these four guys jumped us. So, like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay. So the gunman, uh, he told the two postal workers to throw down their own guns. Throw down your arms. So they're armed. Yeah. Okay, wow. Uh, then they blindfolded and gagged the pair. Okay. And the gunman forced the guard to open the back of the truck. I just didn't expect the driver to be armed. I thought it'd be like kind of like an old stagecoach. We have a shotgun I think guy. Little, I mean, they and, said throw down their guns in the paper, but you know what? Let's say it was just the guard. Let's, let's no, leave. I like that they both are strapped. All right, they're both strapped. Yeah. And they had like bombs strapped to totally. their Totally, and like bandoliers across them, like, you know, <laughs> and Pancho grenades. Villa. And what did they do? Yeah. They didn't, they should have just pow pow out the window and driven through, but it was a cop, <laughs> so you can't do that. Anyway. <laughs> had bandana wrapped over their head like Rambo. Yes. Why not? Yeah, why not? Uh, so they're blindfolded, they're gagged. Sure. Uh, they say to the guard, open up the back of the truck. He's like, mm-hmm. move, move. <laughs> You did uh, the wrong order. <laughs> so they, then they shove the workers in the back of the truck and they take off with one of the gunmen at the wheel. Okay. Uh, they drove all over the place. Lots of turns, <laughs> U-turns, Went for such. a joy drive. See the sights. Yeah, they stopped a Look bunch of times. Colors. And each time they stopped, they dropped off a little of the loot in the truck. Oh. And when I say the loot, I mean they dropped off 16 bags of cash that were in there. <laughs> And so, like, I told you that the truck had $1.5 million in cash and silver certificates. Uh-huh. Of that $1.5 million, only $3,200 of it was traceable. 
Wow. So that's just free and easy right there. So they're just Johnny Appleseeding money all around. Oh, yeah. They're making their stop. So unlike in one of my all-time favorite movies, Sneakers, <laughs> the employees were not able to pull a Dan Aykroyd, a.k.a. mother, and recall the sounds of the road and other ambient noise to pinpoint their route and location. Yes. No, these guys were totally confused by all the detours and stops. You love sneakers. God, I love that movie so much. Uh, Anywho, so the heist crew, they drove about 25 miles north toward Boston. Zigzaggins and the Mm -hmm. spins and the whatnots. Uh, Then they abandoned the truck in Randolph, Massachusetts. Have you ever been there? I've never been to Randolph that I'm aware of. Who knows? I might have gone through it real fast. They they ditched the truck at the uh, junction of 128 and 28. Oh, Okay. Not all 128 and 28. I know. It's a rough intersection. Hot corner. (laughs) The block is so hot there. So um, the abandoned mail truck was later found on the side of the road by two local cops, Robert Wurtzberger and Richard Diodato. Those names, not important. Good. I was wondering. They remembered, like, they, they come across the truck and, you know, they they come in there. They don't see anything. But they start thinking, you know what? After they're told this was the stolen truck. Earlier in the day, we helped a guy whose car had broken down, and he wanted us to move luggage out of his trunk, and we helped him. Like, did we help the crooks? They were so upset, and the postal workers had why to would, tell them, no, you didn't do that. Why would they think that helping somebody with luggage was possibly— I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, they come onto the truck. They had. They <laughs> like, were armed. I did something nice, and somebody had stuff. I bet that I was bet the you they stuff. Did it. They now went on to invent uh, next door. So uh, the two dudes, the cops, right? They're yes. of course armed. Uh-huh. But in this town, there the handguns were so old that they rattled. What? Like they were just, yeah. they're just you know, they're from like the wild west. So they're show, they're show guns. I guess, well, it's not a high crime area. No, not at all. So they walk up and they're nervous and their guns are rattling <laughs> and they are like, we can't take on the robbers. But lucky for them, the heist crew was long gone. Okay. So uh, Wurzberger, he was actually scrutinized by postal agents when they found out that he was building a house later. Like they get word like, oh, so they doing construction. Yeah, so he had to prove them. He had to like take out his mortgage and be like, I didn't pay cash for this. Here's how I paid for the extension on my living room. I didn't pay in fives and tens of silver certificates. I just wanted a sunken family room. I wanted a rumpus room. I promised Peg a Florida room, and she said, I I need it. (laughs) So uh, locals heard about the robbery. Mm -hmm. They figured it had to be an inside job. Everything was timed perfectly. Uh, The drivers didn't even know it was in the truck. Um, so what if the like what if it had just been Cape Cod postcards and like coupon circulars? Yeah, who's to say? Very likely. So yeah, that's more likely than one hundred one point five million. Yeah, recipes so, for lobster rolls. Oh my god, or just lobsters? Just lobster so, rolls. Uh, <laughs> just bags of lobster rolls you put in the mail. Um, so some locals realized after the fact that they'd seen the prep for the heist in two thousand two. Burlington Free Press newspaper mm-hmm. they ran a retrospective piece. And David Malaguti, he told the paper that when he was a kid, he and his parents had seen the barricades on the side of the road. And they thought it was just randomness at the time, but they actually saw the early moments of the operation. So they drove, they were allowed through, is what basically Yeah, they were like ahead of yeah, the truck. Uh, the truck. So and they, they saw it. Passed through where Claim the... to fame. Huh. So two days after the heist, the Boston Globe ran a big front page article with the title, Boston Gang Hunted in Huge Mail Robbery. Right to the point. Yes. State Police Chief of Detectives, Captain Michael Cullinane, uh, is quoted as saying, I think the case will be finally resolved in the North End or Revere or a similar environment. We're working (laughs) on Revere and North End angles and others in Rockland, Hanover, and Staunton. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> they said that they had set up at least one specific suspect in their sights. Sure. We got him. And that's a guy who's been involved in other stickups. All 1,000 U.S. postal inspectors were expected to be dispatched to Boston for the case. What? All 1,000. That only that makes me think that that would be the perfect time to pull a mail heist somewhere else in the States. I'm learning how we could pull a mail well, heist. That, yeah. Okay. Well, listen. I always wonder if big police responses to things are just a cover for other crimes. You've mentioned this before. Yeah. So, like, a few years ago. Have I talked about this here? No, thanks. Okay. So. so, there was a bomb scare at the federal building in Oakland. And where I lived at the time, you could see the police and press helicopters circling yeah. the area. So I remember you mentioned you talking about this. Yeah. So, one of the channels put a live feed from their helicopter online. So, of course, I watched it. Naturally. Uh, you could see what looked like every Oakland police cop and cop car there. And same with the Alameda Sheriff's Department, Alameda County Sheriff's Department, the feds. Everyone's there. It was packed with law enforcement. So this is like Elizabeth Appointment TV. Oh, my God. You have no idea. It just, like, made my day. Uh, you could watch the bomb robot be sent over to the pipe bomb-looking <laughs> thing in the bushes, and everyone's all crouched around and wait, watching it tensely. The zoom on the camera was Some remarkable. Cameras to technology. Yeah, so they're able to x-ray the device and then contain it. Yes. At which time all the video feeds stopped. And I was like, oh, my God, did it blow up? I was so excited. Yeah. Like, did it take the helicopters out of the sky? No. It did not blow up. And, like, I didn't hear it happen. So they later gave a press conference that it wasn't a live bomb. I think so, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. But that it was a dummy and there was a note in there to the cops. But they wouldn't say it was in the note. And I wondered if it was like, sorry, buddies, but while you're doing this, we robbed all the banks and all the weed dispensaries. <laughs> Who knows? I like your imagination. Thank you. Either way, the Postal Service went all in on this investigation. Let's take a break. Okay. When we come back, we'll find out more about their investigation. Yeah. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hello. Hello. Hi, Zaren. When we left off, yes. the Postal Service and other law enforcement, uh, they were working overtime. Sorry, I was working on my sticker book during the commercials. Just Did one second. Good, Let me put my sticker book away. Did you away. get good ones? Do you have any scratches? I got a strawberry shortcake that's new. Do I got it on eBay. Do you remember the ones that had like oil in them? And yeah, you puffy? could like scratch. Oh, yeah, totally. Whatever happened to that? Uh, they got taken off the shelves because of cancer. I think it's like no, you know, no heavy, heavy metals in They're them. They're flammable, so a kid died. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, so anyway, Postal Service, sure. law enforcement, mm-hmm. they're, they're working hard. They're trying to identify and arrest the perpetrators of the what is now called the Plymouth Mail Heist. Oh, good name. Yeah. Uh, another entity diving into their own investigation was Life Magazine. The second big heist at Plymouth. <laughs> yeah! Zing! Zing. I like it. Woo. I endorse that. So, Can I have this land? Oh, take my land, Hey-o. please. Go on. Um, so, Life Magazine. Mm-hmm. They decided, they didn't tell the cops this, that they were going to reenact the robbery with actors on the side of Route 3. Like a cute little photo shoot. <laughs> Why? Why? I don't, you know, they do reconstructions all the time of crimes in the UK that I, yes. when I lived there, I saw that on TV a lot and I guess it would help jog memory. Huh. But why are you doing a photo shoot? Wait, do they make commercials and then just run a commercial? No, it's on a show, dude. It's not even a commercial. It's like, there's a show, I think it's Crime Stoppers. Uh-huh. I don't know. There's, I can't remember and the name of the show. they do like real good recreations? Yeah, they do a total recreation and they have like an actor, you know, huh. portraying like the missing little girl or whatever, like doing, and then the, the cars that we're seeing go by. Sure. Is this like prime time? Yeah. So I bet that has good ratings. It's amazing. <laughs> Probably. Um, so yeah, so life, you think they're doing that, yeah. but it's like a photo shoot. People freaked out oh, when they bet. saw this as they're driving by. They thought, oh my God, the gang's back. And this time they have cameras. I'm surprised they didn't shoot. The cops were livid. Yeah. They were so mad. They put out a statement warning the quote, gagsters to cut out the nonsense <laughs> or suffer serious consequences. Still, <laughs> the gagsters over at Life Magazine are pranking us again. Like, what is it? Okay. It sounds like a shop teacher from high school yeah, talking to me. Cut it out, you gagsters. You gagsters back there. And that just makes everyone laugh harder. Totally. Like I said earlier, if you were listening, yes, the cops, and when I say cops, that's just blanket term for, I don't know, anyone in a uniform here, uh, you know, postal, local, regional. Law enforcement. Law enforcement. Do you have a badge? LE, as they say. Law yes, the LEO. Um, they they, they want to put someone outside the home of one suspect, this one person. They're watching him. And when asked, they said that he was located, quote, some distance from Boston. So they're being all coy about it. That's where I live. The guy some had, distance from Boston. <laughs> same. Uh, it's some distance. Uh, the guy had done holdups in the past that weren't too different, just at a much smaller scale, okay. obviously. Um, other clues the cops would cop to were the nicknames of two people, hmm. two abandoned cars, and a partly burned car with detour signs in the trunk. <laughs> there you go. I'm thinking you got I it, Bob. I think we found it. Uh, USPS inspectors and the FBI, they got warrants to search two homes, and they discovered evidence there. We're going to hear about that in a bit. Mm-hmm. They also had eyewitnesses, and I'm presuming aside from the employees in the truck. And the kid in the car. And the kid in the car. Um, so they have this possible Boston heist crew under surveillance, mm-hmm. but there are repercussions. The criminal element wasn't just going to take this scrutiny. So Gail Begley, the daughter of one of the inspectors, John Sullivan, said later that they got death threats, fake lawsuits, false accusations. Damn. According to her, quote, 
Some even followed postal inspectors in their cars. I learned only decades later that one notorious member of the male robbery gang had once tailed my father while he was off duty and had my mother in the car with him. <laughs> they're just coming, like, they're they not the intimidated. Yeah. yeah. So in some early mind hunter moves, USPS inspectors thought that they might be able to get into the mind of a bank robber <laughs> by talking to members of the Brinks gang. Oh, okay. So these are the guys who, in 1950, had pulled off the Great Brinks robbery in Boston. Um, It was, at the time, the largest robbery in the history of the U.S., and it was also known as the crime of the century. Still one of the most epic, yeah. Yeah, a lot of crimes get that title, only to have it ripped away by ambitious upstarts. I'm telling you. It's a shame. You should do a crime. uh, Of the century. I know, Elizabeth. I should. You should do that crime for an episode is what I'm trying to say. You should do the Brinks robbery. I was just trying to top it so you could do a show about me. I hereby challenge you to not only pull an epic crime, but then to do a story about (laughs) it. And to do an episode about it? Yeah. Like I pull off the most epic robbery? No, you got to do that. I'm putting the Brinks on the big board with your name on I'm going to do like a what if I did it episode. Oh, that's good. I like that. Uh, they're like, when podcasts go bad. Exactly. We just got too many ideas over the years. I'm telling you, moneymaker. Um, so the postal inspectors, they went to the Brinks gang. Okay. Please. Do please. they have anything good sir, for them? Sir, I come to you with tears in my eyes. Please. <laughs> Trying to solve this robbery. That, sir, sir. That went about how you'd expect. Yeah. I'm big saying. no. They said big nope. Like, they wouldn't even meet we with We still them. don't like y'all. Yeah. They're like, no, I'm not taking visitors in jail right now. Um, so this was huge <laughs> news, this robbery. Mm-hmm. August 27th, 1962, Postmaster General J. Edward Day, he announced a reward of $50,000. That Mm. was up from the previous measly $2,000. And this was in exchange for any information leading to the arrest and the conviction of the gang. So over time, the reward got up to $150,000. So that reward, it was even offered to people who may or may not have killed the unknown suspects. You're allowed to bring them in dead or alive? Dead or alive. So that meant that essentially their deaths would be a conviction for the crime. Oh, they said like Josh Randall have at it. And they're like, Just, if you kill them, I get, you know yeah, what? You know, like, we'll let that one slide. So things dragged on. As long no, as you kill the right one, you know? <laughs> things drag on. <laughs> Don't kill too many but of these fine Bostonians. they can't defend Bostonians. themselves. Yeah. Uh, there are no solid leads, no movement in the case. Years go by. Oh, wow. At a congressional hearing, Chief New England Postal Inspector William F. White, he downplayed rumors of a rift between the Massachusetts State Police and his department. Oh, the stateies and the, and the uh-huh. letter carriers He's not like, along? He said he'd met with Public Safety Commissioner Frank S. Giles uh-huh. and that, quote, We have a complete understanding. Our objectives are to push the case and not be concerned about what went on in the past. Oh. Like, what went on in the past? I don't believe that, yeah. Did one steal another one's prom date? (laughs) Like, I want the juicy details. So, while the New England chief postal inspector may have wiped the slate clean with the state police, the U.S. Postmaster General was irritated that the state police hadn't safeguarded the truck. How are they supposed to know? Yeah. And, Whatever. It's okay. your job. Those are you, you're, that's your truck out yeah, there, the, dude. It seems like that'd be your micromanaging, not theirs. But see, they're theirs. all under all this pressure, and they start sniping at each other. The pressure didn't ease up, though, because they had a five-year statute of limitations approaching. Okay. So they and, really need to get it. Otherwise, they're going to yeah. skate. And so as we're going through these five years, things, you know, they got unethical. Um, they had a totally out-of-control surveillance on all known armed robbers in the greater Boston area. Really? Yeah, they just spread a wide net. And so just as the statute of limitations was about to run out, five suspects were charged. John J. Kelly, who worked for the Patriarcha crime family, George Agisitellis, mm-hmm. uh, Joseph Tripoli, Thomas Richards, and Patricia Diaferio. 
Okay. So the real focus was on Kelly and Richards and D'Aferio. Interesting mix of Greek, Irish, and Italian. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So Kelly had served time in the past for receiving stolen property okay. after a robbery back in the 50s. Um, so, but the charges... Are these just like Boston Hardman, usual suspects? We got five much. people, the, sticks, the charges yeah, so will stick to? Yeah, so you got the Patriarch of Crime family and then all these other kind of hangers-on. Um, the charges, they came almost five years to the day after the robbery. I mean, they yeah, slid in. Totally. Um, but there had been a lot of work to get to that point. Sure. Not all of it on the up and up. So according to Kelly himself, quote, Shortly after the robbery, I'd say within a week or two, the postals and the police rounded up scores of ex-convicts who had at one time or another been connected with bank robberies. I was one of those scores. They interviewed me and I answered all their questions. I had nothing to hide. I really wasn't concerned. A few weeks after that, I noted that the postal inspectors were following me around in cars. They were in front of stores where I went. They seemed to be everywhere that I was. I didn't know it at the time, but they were doing the same thing with Richards and Tripp. And he means Joseph yeah. Tripoli with that. Mm -hmm. So they're just like obviously tailing these people. Back in October of 1962, Postal Inspector Raymond Dunn, he named Richards in an affidavit resulting in a search warrant for his house. Hmm. Zarin, close your eyes. Oh, you snuck it up on Always. Me. All right, my eyes are closed. I want you to picture it. Yes. It's September of 1962. You live on Regatta Road in North Weymouth, Massachusetts. Look at me. Uh, you have a lovely house overlooking the Weymouth Four River and the stunning George Lane Beach. It's a cozy neighborhood. Look at my view. You are a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. You spy on your neighbors all the time, you sick freak. <laughs> Look at them. <laughs> you have a special treehouse you've built in your backyard oh, that gives you sights on the house behind you as well as your next-door neighbors, the Richards family. Don't look at me. <laughs> you go to the city a lot to a special shop that sells state-of-the-art surveillance Of course equipment. I do. I knew that was coming. You've managed to score a parabolic <laughs> listening device that makes it feel like you are right there in the room with your neighbors. I've got cameras for my shoe tips. You, like, are, you are a strange man. On this day, you climb up into your treehouse oh, and set up your binoculars on a tripod and adjust your listening device. What's wrong with me? The birds chirp, and you can hear faint ocean waves in the distance. Nothing's going on at the house behind you, so you rotate your viewing and listening devices to face the Richards house. <laughs> this tunes out the beach, and all you hear is the daily routine of the Richards with sweet chirping of songbirds in the background. Boo, boy. <laughs> <laughs> You're hoping Mrs. Richards will walk around and lacy under things. <laughs> Something she hasn't done before, but hey, there's a first time for everything. Maybe they'll talk about their bowel movements. You're up for oh anything, Zarin. I'm telling you, you are a strange man. I got, I got a big kink book. <laughs> you hear a knock at their door. Uh -huh. They have a huge window at the back of the house that looks through to the front door in the living room. That's lucky. I can see everything. Yeah. So a man in a suit walks into the house. Now, Mr. Richards isn't the suit and tie kind of guy. A little rough around the edges. Mm. So you can't figure out what this guy wants or how they know each other. Richards tells the guy in the suit that he's aware his house is going to be searched. The guy in the suit tells him that's true. Yes, your house is going to be searched, or my name isn't Postal Inspector Raymond Dunn. <laughs> ah, that's who it is. <laughs> Richards asks him uh, how that was all going to shake out. Dunn tells him to ignore the search and just cooperate, loosen up, relax. Don't sound comfortable. Return the money, you know, claim the reward. This is getting juicy, even though it's not filthy, Zarin, you're in. <laughs> So I'm still hooked. Richards says to Dunn, 
Supposing I say I could come up with some of the money, couldn't we just say I found it? Mrs. Richards, Sylvia, pipes up and asks her husband how he's mixed up in all of this. Richards tells her, It's like a chain. One thing leads to another. You get involved a little, but one thing leads to another. Dunn looks over at Sylvia. Sylvia, that rope looks a lot like something you'd use to tie up a mail truck driver and guard. Sylvia hadn't heard him. What'd you say? Uh, nothing. Never mind, says Dunn. Dunn leaves, and then Sylvia turns around and draws the gaudy drapes. You move your binoculars and listening device back around <laughs> towards the neighbors behind you in hopes you'll catch them cooking naked or something. My neighbors Scene. are interesting, too. <laughs> so Dunn's conversation there yes. that you witnessed uh-huh. uh, led to that affidavit I, I spoke of earlier, uh-huh. um, which led to the search warrant. The what, search. What yeah. would lead to my arrest in my time in group therapy? You never got caught. Oh, look at me. Never got okay, caught. Okay, go on. This is uh, Boston, Zarin. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, producer Dave. Forget it, Zarin. It's Boston. Um, so the search turned up $350 in cash. All right. And they found that underneath the bathroom floor. And oh. Richards was like, that's my gambling winnings. Uh, they found a 12-gauge shotgun, mm. bulletproof vests. Also gambling winnings. Yes. <laughs> two police-issue belts and a 45 caliber pistol with a U.S. Army stamp on hmm. it. Now, keep in mind, there was that guy dressed as the cop oh, for yes. the robbery. That was the costume I was telling uh-huh. you about. And the postal employees said the gunman had shotguns. I'm so thinking we there's found two. our guy. We're all close to bingo. So the house was... Totally trashed by the U.S. Marshals and the postal agents. They ripped out walls and ceilings. Like, I just don't like this one. They, they're like, this place is tacky. Let's yeah. have at it. And you're just in the treehouse watching. Um, they Look at pried, this wallpaper. Knock it down. Right up the floorboards. They mm-hmm. removed panels from outside walls and eaves. Yeah. And then they the dug siding, up. siding, come on. They took a jackhammer and dug up the patio. And call that a view. Look at this. Get rid this of this, just, too. Uh, the property values just took a dive after this. Curb appeal, gone. So with that warrant and its fruits, hopefully, not of the poison tree. Kelly, mm-hmm. Richards, and Tripoli, they got lawyered up. Who did they retain? None other than F. Lee Bailey. Whoa! Yeah, super famous criminal defense attorney. Usually social justice f- attorney. Yeah, well, he represented a Boston Strangler suspect. That's true. Patty Hearst, Sam Shepard, the inspiration for the TV show and movie The Fugitive. Mm-hmm. And he was also part of the O.J. Simpson legal dream team. Yeah. And he was a native son of Massachusetts. I did not know that. Yes. So Kelly and Richards, they were released on $25,000 bail. Uh, Dia Ferio, uh, who looked like the blonde woman who was seen on the Route 3 overpass, she got out on bail for 5000 Kelly said he was abused by the cops. He also said that they harassed his cats. Are you kidding it's me? too far, cops. He said that to a judge? Yeah. He's like... Your Honor, they're harassing my cats. On <laughs> uh, January 1st, 1963, Bailey gave a press conference with his clients, and he said that, quote, several sources informed him postal officials were hoping to indict Richards in a different robbery. That one was pulled the previous March in Lynn, Massachusetts, at the Essex Trust Company. Hmm. So two men in stocking masks there made off with more than $28,000. One fired a shot into the ceiling during the robbery to really drive home the point that they meant business. Yeah. So after they left the bank, the guys took off in a green and white Oldsmobile driven by a third man. I think that green and white was discovered in some of the, you know, um, evidence that green and white holds. Okay. So uh, Bailey said that he was told by a little birdie (laughs) that postal agents figured that if they could indict Richards for the Essex Trust robbery, they could get him to flip on the others for the Plymouth job. Yeah. So Richards, Kelly, Tripoli, they let everyone know that they were under constant surveillance 
They had also been offered immunity and up to $250,000 if they identified the robbers and then told where the money was. Hmm. Uh, U.S. Attorney W. Arthur Garrity Jr. totally denied all this. He said the reward was only the $200,000 and it was available to anyone. <laughs> Not just you guys. Let's take a break. Okay. Check out some ads. When we get back, we'll swing our surveillance equipment over <laughs> toward another of the suspects, George Agistotelis. I still can't believe you made me a pervert. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Aaron. Welcome. Hello, Elizabeth. You better watch your butt next week. <laughs> well, I am sorry for making you a pervert, okay. by the way. I just couldn't resist it. Uh, we've looked at how things went with John Kelly, yes. Joseph Tripoli, mm-hmm. and Thomas Richards. 
But what of George Agisodalus? What about George Agis? George. On January 10th, 1963, George released a 16-page statement to the papers via his lawyer, F. Lee Bailey. Oh, he nice. He locked him in, too. He said he was offered $10,000 by a postal agent if he'd name specific people involved in the robbery. He said he'd been getting $600 a week from postal agents to help incriminate Kelly, Tripley, and Richards. Hmm. That's a lot of money. Damn. Uh, he said he didn't have anything to do with the Plymouth mail truck robbery. He was going to go public with all this because he was afraid he'd be killed or sent back to prison. And he was tired of all the harassment from the cops. Sure. I'm guessing they went after his cats, too. <laughs> they were really just like... And his fish. Oh, my yeah. God. Probably Not just like just his endless cats. tapping on the yeah. bowl. Like, uh, you in there? <laughs> so he pointed out that he had a solid alibi. Mm-hmm. He'd been at the drive-in with his wife, brother-in-law, and mother-in-law. Working on his folk that album. That sounds like a night. Um, and he added that Kelly, Tripoli, and Richards, they weren't involved in the robbery either. They were all being set up. They were all at the drive-in Here's with his mother-in-law. Thing. There was, they're in the trunk. Uh, there was some merit with what he had to say. He'd been secretly recording all of his interactions with the cops. So this oh, wasn't just him talking. Smart. There was an agent who lived in his neighborhood who was trying to flip him. George said he was acting as a, quote, double agent in the investigation. Mm-hmm. First, he taped conversations with Kelly, Tripoli, and Richards and handed those over to the postal inspectors. Okay. So he turns on his pals. Then he turned around and he started taping his interactions with the inspectors. And they hand those to his buddies? He's playing both <laughs> shots. Pretty, yeah. So the the 10000 he was supposed to get was going to come, according to him, from each of those 1,000 postal inspectors in the country chipping in $100 each. They were like in a crowdfund... <laughs> The, the ex- money for him. He's extorting all of the agents, essentially? He's not. The, the, the agents rally together, like, we're yeah. going to give George $100,000, and he's going to, like, set everybody up and move this forward. But, yeah, he's saying, he's saying that, essentially, they did this on their own. Uh-huh. They, yeah. Like, basically, for him. They for extorted him. themselves for him. Like, for we don't want anything bad to happen, right. so let's all take care well, of this. And apparently, any postal inspector who wouldn't kick in would be transferred to Boston, which no one liked. <laughs> I have no idea why that is. It doesn't seem like that would be... A bad gig. I mean, you're around a bunch of stuff. It's like being sold down the river. You're being like, you're you're sent (laughs) to Boston. Boston. It's like Siberia. So George had a heart condition. Uh Uh, He said that he and his wife hoped that it would take the heat and the stress off of him if he provided the names of Kelly Tripoli and Richards, even though he was positive that none of them had anything to do with the robbery. And he said, quote, I thought that no harm could possibly come from me giving him their names. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it can't. He said F. Lee Bailey had a tape recording of an agent promising him $10,000 if he testified against both Richards and Kelly for the Quincy robbery, that other one. Uh-huh. Um, and that if the mail robbery was solved, they'd give him another 200000 So they're just like promise. And they have a tape recording of yeah. it. Uh, with his cousin there as a witness... Postal agents told George that once the court case was over, they would put the money in banks in Mexico or anywhere else that he wanted. Uh, they, they'll give him passports. They'll lift his parole. They just really wanted a bust. Really wanted a bust. And there's a lot of them that know about this. Yeah. They're just like, ah. Yeah, everyone's working on it. They're all chipping in, the, you know, around the office. So as soon as the statement came out. We got an office out, corruption pool. It's cool. <laughs> F. Lee Bailey releases this statement. George goes into hiding. Uh-huh. Uh, he said that uh, Bailey, F. Lee Bailey, said the treatment his clients experienced by the postal agents made them all marked men. 
And I mean, there there was that thing about how you could take them out and still get paid. Yeah. Wanted dead or alive. Yeah, totally. I mean, they have Bailey a threat said was, of death. Yeah. Bailey said he was going to sue on behalf of his clients on grounds that their civil rights had been violated. Okay. He said it, quote, overtly encourages the slaughter of the suspects. It's a license to kill. This offer makes it plain to any reward seeker that to collect the $50,000, he need only shoot the suspect rather than wait for or risk an eventual conviction. This is no no less than a license to kill and is a shocking example of Gestapo tactics. I was just about to say, they, they basically have given them a license to kill and yeah. are kind of like, you know, getting ahead of the whole process of justice. Yeah, There has really. been no, they're, they're ignoring the presumption of innocence. Yes. So Bailey, he sent telegrams to Senators Leverett Saltonstall mm-hmm. and Edward M. Kennedy. Oh, Teddy. Uh, the senators of the great state of Massachusetts, Commonwealth, great state. Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Apologies, Massachusetts. Uh, He wanted an investigation. Quote, I feel that as the senior representatives of the people of Massachusetts, you ought to cause an official investigation of this entire shameful situation. The conduct of postal officials in this case certainly ought to be investigated. Otherwise, the public will be jeopardized and their civil rights will be trampled on. I like that the post office is coming out looking worse out of all of this. Oh, God, totally. And I love the post office. Yeah, it's hard to make make them look bad. So on August 2nd, 1967, just before the end of the statute of limitations, John Kelly, Tommy Richards, and Patricia D'Affario were indicted. Kelly and D'Affario were both eventually acquitted. Hmm. And Richards, who had flipped and was going to testify against the others, he disappeared forever. He I'm... left his job a week or so before he was supposed to testify and was never seen again. Really? Bailey, Did he get a pair of new shoes? His lawyer, well, his shoes? lawyer, F. Lee Bailey, said a Richards family spokesman had told him that Richards had gone on an impromptu holiday. And Bailey didn't know about this vacation until it was already underway. He said Richards had been getting death threats from people who believed he had the money and wanted a share of it. And let's not forget that John Kelly was a member of the Patriarcha crime family. Sure. After Richards disappeared, all charges were dropped. And a lot of other suspects and informants also, quote, went on vacation. Really? So who's to say? I mean, he may have also, you know. was a very busy travel agent in Boston. Yeah. So (laughs) So the family, were they trying to intimate that the guy actually, like, might have gotten away to Mexico? Or were they trying to say, like, he might have tried to get away and then someone else caught him? There are a lot of ways to read it. It could be that he was trying to get away and someone caught him. It could be, like, search the bottom of the river. Mm -hmm. It could also be that, like... The feds picked him up for something, and he's turning on a larger group. Oh, and he's been now in, in living in Arizona. Right. Okay. Yeah, which is a, a good possibility. Hmm. So have you, speaking of which, have you ever heard of Vincent Fat Vinny Teresa? Um, I mean, he stopped calling me. But, uh... <laughs> he, was a, he was a member of the Patriarcha No, I, I don't know. He was a top captain to Raymond Patriarcha. Okay. Uh, he came from a Sicilian mafia family and was deep in the life from a young age. He he actually developed a gambling addiction when he was in elementary school. My man. I know. He was also a super violent kid, something that, you know, set him off on a bad course. So, so he was impulsive, is yeah. what you're telling me. He got his start in the mob with arson insurance rackets. <laughs> and uh, he ran a nightclub on Cape Cod that was a front for loan sharking and racketeering. Okay. 
Um, he was sentenced in 1969 to 20 years for conspiracy and transporting stolen securities. Wow. Those pop up all the time. Did he, he missed the entire 70s and 80s. Well, no. So he did a little bit of time at Lewisburg with John Gotti, Jimmy Hoffa, and Carmine Galante. That's a group for yeah, a, that's a, a card game. Yeah, that's a game. fun little group. And so he found out when he was there that people inside the Patriarcha family, the crime family, had stolen $4 million in cash that he had set aside for his real family yeah. while he was on the inside. Mm-hmm. And he was irate. So, like, he's got the two families here, but his personal family is going to come first. So he's so mad when he finds out they stole $4 million that he becomes an FBI informant. Damn. Yeah. He testified in front of the U.S. Senate in 1971, and his testimony led to more than 50 mob members being indicted. Oh, he was part of that big wave. Uh Uh-huh. So, of course, he goes into witness protection, and he took on the name Charles Cantino. (laughs) So he said that he was a made man, but he never killed anyone. Is he so close to Canto, like the singer? Yeah, exactly. He's the Cantino. Uh, So he was made, Uh but he, he said he never killed anyone, and the government backed him up on that. Really? He got his position because he was such a good moneymaker. Okay. He was able to Yeah, either money it. or family. You can and get so in with that. for that reason, here's another one I challenge you to do an episode on. I think you got to do Fat Vinny, Teresa. Canteen? Okay. Uh, are you writing these down? I, I got a note. Cantino okay. over here. Write them down, you pervert. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so why am I telling you about Fat Vinny? I tell you I get binoculars for my birthday and suddenly <laughs> I'm the pervert. <laughs> That is true. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So I see how your mind works. I know Dutton. it's all work coming together. I'm over here thinking about birds. You're like, oh, yeah, I know sure. what you do with this. I know what birds you're looking at. <laughs> Come on. So, Fat Vinny, while uh-huh. in Witsec, yes, Teresa, aka Cantino, he wrote some books. Hmm. That's how. That's you do how it. you do it, Elizabeth. So first, there's how we're getting a book deal. There was one in 1973 called "My Life in the Mafia." Bad title. Yeah, <laughs> and that one was co-written with a Newsday writer. Um, it That's detailed why. his mob career and the 1960s Boston Irish mob wars. Sure. Interesting read, yeah, I'm good sure. stuff. Then there was Vinnie Teresa's Mafia. Much better title. Yeah, that's like a restaurant. That sounds like it comes with a recipe. <laughs> in 1975. He also co-wrote it with, uh, with uh, what's his name, Thomas Renner of, the, of Newsday. And that one told the tale of his time thus far in the Witness Protection Program. And then lastly, there was a fictional novel. Although, hold on, I don't think you're supposed to write about being in witness protection while in witness protection, but okay. Um, the last one, there was a fictional novel called Wise Guys. Huh. And this Love came out. Love the uh, adaptation for the Broadway show. It's just amazing. <laughs> uh, this one came out in 1978, and it was written by just him, just, mm-hmm. just Teresa. Um, it's the story of Johnny Forza, who's basically Fat Vinny. Um, he's a betrayed government witness. He fights with a former friend and Cosa Nostra member named Butch, who is a thinly disguised New Jersey mobster, Frank Butch Micelli. Okay. Um, and so it talks about his life on the run and a final showdown with everyone you can (laughs) think of. Now... Um, my life in the mafia. Does he have a lot of women throwing themselves at him? Oh, I'm sure. Scantily like, clad. He's gals. winning. Always winning card games. Yes. Driving fast. Okay, go on. <laughs> but in that first book, My Life in the Mafia, uh-huh. he went on the record to say that Kelly mm-hmm. was the one behind the Plymouth heist. Oh, he publishes he it. Put it right in a book, and <laughs> that Kelly organized the th- the whole thing. Yes. Eh. 
and that he took 80% of the money. Damn. He just lays it all out there. Statue of Limitations up, so he's like, time to tell the tales. Yeah. Okay. Now, those aren't the only books out there that are about this or peripheral to Of course not. Um, Have you heard of Ernest Tidyman? Let's pretend I have. I ask you this because I feel like you pretty much know everything already. And, like, if I come up with it, you're like, oh, That's I know the guy. Okay, so anyway, all, but go on. I'm hoping that if I check ahead of time, like, I could actually stump you and it looks yes. like I did. Uh-huh. He's the author of Shaft, and he also won an Oscar for his screenplay. Like, as in Shaft goes to Africa, Shaft? Yeah, he, he wrote The French Connection. What? Yeah. So, in 1982, he wrote a book called Big Bucks, The True Outrageous Story of the Plymouth Male Robbery, Ellipses, and how they got away with it. See, so, you know, there's a title. It's a great book, by the way. Thanks to archive.org for okay. helping up with it. So here's the start of the author's note. I was invited to write a true story of the Plymouth mail robbery by a man I believe to have been one of the participants. Up to that time in 1962, it was the largest cash haul of its kind ever to have been made. I reviewed this astonishing firsthand information in weeks and months of interviewing. This is essentially the story I found, with almost all the names changed and some reconstruction of conversations. The characters on both sides of the law are funny, frightening, brilliant, and evil. Wow. So, as I said, he changed the names, but he starts the whole thing from the very beginning. And this is the essential question that's not really covered much elsewhere. Sure. How did the heist crew know that there'd be all the cash and silver certificates in the truck? That night on that road. That's Yeah, that was bothering me. So some had posited it was an insider, had of course. Be. And that's what Tidyman put forward. Um, in his telling, it's a seasoned journalist who spends his days stopping in at the U.S. Postal Service main office in Boston, picking the brains of the inspectors for stories. They know him super well. He's there all the time. Mm -hmm. They tell him once about how the government wants to save money by moving the money in large USPS trucks instead of an armored car. And he tracks this new idea that they mention, and he gets little bits of information ahead of the heist, little bits of information about how they're planning on doing this. He finds out that they'll do a run from Cape Cod to Boston, and he eventually casually asks if it's happening and when. And everyone in the office knows and trusts him. They think nothing of it, so they tell him. As Tidyman acknowledges, he did have to take some liberties, so I'm wondering if in real life it was just an outsider who had extraordinary access to the office and not exactly a journalist. Sure. But who knows? So later in the book, he says that there were actually six participants and no woman, that the one blonde that someone saw on the Clark Road overpass was actually one of the guys dressed like a woman to throw people off while acting as a lookout. So despite the literary clues and statements, the case is technically unsolved. What do you think? I think that it was Kelly. I think crew. so, too. Yeah. I mean, it's that's kind of the Occam's Razor version mm-hmm. of this story. Yeah. But I am really curious as to who was the informant who got them the inside information. That's How about you? What's your ridiculous takeaway? Well, you know the song Shipping Off to Boston? No. No? The Dropkick Murphys? Oh, Murphy's... yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is Shipping Off to Boston. Right. So when you were talking about the postal uh, inspectors having to be threatened that they were going to be shipped off to Boston or transferred, mm-hmm. I kept hearing the song. Hearing so, the Dropkick? Yeah, just entirely. The last part of this story has been soundtracked by the Dropkick Murphys <laughs> like it was a Martin Scorsese <laughs> film. It's been amazing. Well, once you start talking about Dropkick Murphys, now I'm going to have Rose tattoo in my head for the rest See, of the day. See, there you it, go. They're infectious. It's the, the gift that keeps giving. It really is. Like herpes. Yes, no. pervert. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> That's it for today. You can find us online at ridiculouscrime.com. 
Uh, we're also at Ridiculous Crime on Twitter and Instagram. Don't email ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. Do leave a talk back on the iHeart app. Bye-bye. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by Dave Kustin, angry great-uncle of the Patriarch of Crime family. Research is by nosy perverts Marissa Brown and Andrea Song Sharpentier. <laughs> You're getting everybody today. Yep. The theme song is by poorly armed local deputies Thomas Lee and Travis Dutton. Post wardrobe is provided by Botany 500. Executive producers are postal truck driver Ben Bolin and postal truck guard Noel Brown. Ridiculous crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.